For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. Another House of L actual episode. If you're new to the podcast and you're like, what the hell is Lawrence talking about? Well, since there's this podcast and then there's the Sports Adjacent podcast and there's Maddie Lee's podcast that when I actually do one of the podcasts instead of just simply producing the podcast, I'm now calling it House of L actual like, you know, on a ship where if you're talking to the captain, you're talking to that ship actual, like Battlestar Galactica. You're talking to Adama, you're talking to Galactica actual. So this is the House of L actual, one of the episodes that I'm doing today. We are presented by Zenny. If you've seen me do some of the videos on Twitter, by the way, you can follow me at Lawrence W. Holmes on Twitter. I am rocking my Zenny new frames that I got. So go to Zenny.com and you can get yourself a, a nice tricked out pair of glasses. They are really inexpensive. I'm not kidding you. I got a, a pair of glasses from Zenny for, I think, $12. Think about that. Think about all of the nonsense that you go through to get glasses. Now, you need your script, so go see your eye doctor if you don't have a, a script that's still valid. But once you get that, like, just order from Zenny, man. Zenny.com is the way that you can do it. We are also brought to you by our guy, Brendan Studzinski, who is a State Farm agent in Lincoln Park. He covers me. I just bought a new house. And he has got that covered for me. He can help you out, too. ChicagoSF.com. SF as in State Farm. If you go there and get a quote from him, State Farm is going to donate $10 to Paul Chicago, which is something that we can all get behind. So shout out to Brendan Studzinski. I love this episode of the podcast because it's a guy that I genuinely, like I, you know how you end up with like Twitter friends and in my case I have like show friends, like people that I love having on the show. Well, I think that Steven Nelson and I are, like, becoming friend friends now, and that's good. Like, he was going through his negotiation with MLB Network while I was going with my negotiation with the score. So we kind of bonded, like, talking about the experience of being in the room and what it's like to, to be in the room as part of your negotiation. They often tell talent, like, don't go in the room. That's part of the reason that you hire an agent because you don't want to hear – the mean things that people say about you in a negotiation. So we were talking about what it's like for us to have been in the room for our negotiation. I guess the room where it happens, the room where it happens, the room where it happens. 
I want to be in the room where it happens. Click boom. I can do a much better version of that. But anyway, I love Steven because he's pretty much the only national face that you see repping the White Sox. And it's weird. Like, if we really tried to put together a list of the most famous repping White Sox fans, it would get, I mean, I guess President Obama is on the list. I mean, I know a lot of people in the White Sox organization that had a wonderful relationship with the 44th president of the United States, but we all heard him talk about baseball. Like, he likes it, but, you know, you know. Come on. And then after that, like, who are we talking about? You're going to hear Stephen and I discuss this, but... As far as national broadcasters go, there aren't. We could count Benetti, I guess, but he literally works for the team. Steven does it. I think that I'm actually one of the most famous White Sox fans, and that's a shame that I might end up on some people's top 10 list of White Sox fans. That's not good. That's not good. And some people we got to throw out. Like, we got to throw John Cusack out. Throw him out. Joan, she's in. John, get him out of here. So it's hard to come up with a list. But know that when you watch Steven Nelson on Intentional Talk, that that guy loves him some White Sox. He truly, truly does. So we had a great time talking about the White Sox overall. He's also done play-by-play for hockey, along with doing baseball. Like, the guy's done it all. He did play-by-play in Rockford. So he's got a lot of love for Rockford, and he actually talks about that inside of our interview. We also talked about what it's like to be Asian American right now in America. And I thought that he really, he opened up a vein, man, and did some sharing. And I think that his his reaction to some of the violence that we have seen against the Asian American community, I think is something that, like the baseball stuff that we discuss in here, the broadcasting stuff that we discuss in here is wonderful. But I I think that that part of the sit-down was some of the most raw that has ever been on House of L. Like, I put it right up there with Jason Goff, like the episodes I've done with Jay, where it was raw. And I appreciate Steven Nelson for sharing. And I also think that I'm gl- I know a lot of Asian-American broadcasters, and I think that, whenever we end up in these discussions about race in America or class in America or socioeconomic standing in America, we often fall into the trope of Asian American and now like Africans who immigrate to the United States are kind of falling in lump or being lumped into this category too of 
that's the 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 perfect perfect group like that's the way that everyone else should act and if more people were acting like asian americans then we could get an assimilation thing going on and everything would be fine and they have to deal with that stereotype the the stereotype of being the model for all minorities so we talked about that and we talked about what it's like to live in fear walking the street and it's funny because Maddie Lee brought this up too you would have to ask the question of Maddie and of Steven like if you look at their names like their names are are not a tell on their heritage and both of them have said that they are racially ambiguous. So I like that they're sharing what it's like to be in this position as people who could, in the black community, I don't know how this is in other communities, but we would say they could pass. And no one would ever even think about it. But that also carries a burden of responsibility and hearing those two talk about it, and I'm going to get Maddie on House of L Actual, or she'll get me on her podcast. It'll be one of the two. It'll be on the House of L Podcast Network, no matter what. And we'll talk about it more in depth. But I was really happy that Steven, like, he brought me into this conversation. Like, I thought he was talking about something. You'll hear it. I thought he was talking about something different. And we ended up having this wonderful conversation about Model minorities and what it's like to be Asian American right now in America. It's really wonderful. Like, it's this is one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done on the podcast. I think he's terrific. You should watch him now. He's he's got the, we talked about him getting the job on intentional talk to and and replacing Chris Rose, which isn't easy to do. And I've been checking in on him. He doesn't know this, but I've been checking in. I've been watching. He's been doing a great job, like a really great job. Like he's, you'll hear it. He's got a fun vibe to him. But it was cool to go from the fun vibe to a serious conversation. And I'm, I wish him a lot of success, and I hope that a lot of White Sox fans do too. Like that dude stays repping. Like when we did the Zoom. He's sitting there with White Sox jerseys on in the background. I'm like, this is audio only, man. I don't, I don't share the video unless the person tells me that I can share the video. I only use the Zoom for the audio. But he's got Blackhawks gear and White Sox gear in the background of his joint, and he reps it super hard. Watch this guy on MLB Network. He's terrific. Watch him on Intentional Talk. Follow him. On Twitter, at Steven Nelson. Wait, let me make sure I got that right. I'm pretty sure I got that right. Oh, yeah, it's Steven with a P, by the way. That's that's important. Yeah, at Steven Nelson on Twitter. Steven with a P. Follow him there. He's the goods, man. And for us White Sox fans, he's one of ours. So listen up. This is me and MLB Network's Steven Nelson. When's the first time that that play-by-play thing, like, hit you where you were like, I want to go do that? 
pretty young, I would say. It, it piqued my interest young. So I guess for me, like it all goes back to an eighth grade video production class with Mr. Fotonakis, who's the best. And we just, you know, we've had these little mini camcorders and that really got me going in terms of media. And of course I had this lifelong passion for sports, but at that point, my mind was still set on trying to figure out how to play it, whether I was gonna, you know, try to make the National Hockey League or the PGA Tour, cause those became like my two best sports, quote unquote. Um, I eventually got smacked in the face in high school that, yeah, this ain't it. <laughs> well, wait, 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 was that golf or was that hockey? No, I'm kidding. Uh- no, golf, golf before hockey for sure. Like, cause I played that the most competitively. Like I, I tried, you know, uh, you traveling around the country playing AJGA U.S. amateur qualifier events and that, that specific, I can give you the exact day where I realized that it's a no go for me. It was in Overland park, Kansas. U.S. Amateur Qualifier, bro, it was like a thousand percent humidity, a hundred degrees. I had the worst round of my life, did not qualify, walked off the course. Phil Mickelson, who was my favorite golfer, was going to win the U.S. Open. And then 18th hole happened. It was the worst day in golf loving history for me. And I was like, yeah, this is, it's just not, this is not it. It's an it's costing a lot. It's just not going to happen. We got to pivot here. And yeah. And then that kind of, you know, had me going down uh, the broadcasting route. And, you know, when I got to college, went to Chapman university in orange County, small school, D three for life. And we didn't have to wait. We didn't have to do our GE classes. You know, we could just hop right in major, you know, work with the athletic department. And so I was calling games pretty quick. And so that's where I was like, really, especially passionate about it. And was the sports director of the radio, um, radio station at the school and did everything for four years. But then when I got into the industry, then it became less of a thing for me. Like, I just like, okay, this isn't going to happen. Uh, I'm going to be doing the anchoring, reporting, hosting thing. And it wasn't until I came to the network that play-by-play kind of popped back into the picture. And it's been, it's been a wild ride. It's been so much fun. Dream come true. You know, uh, every possible descriptor you can throw on it. That's what it's been for me. You've done some hockey there too, right? Yeah, I would actually say the majority of my play-by-play at the network has been on on the hockey side. So I started with the World Junior Championship, and I'll, I'll never forget it. So I started 2018 at the network, and beginning of the fall, Josh Bernstein comes into my office. He's one of the, the bosses at the network, he, uh, runs the NHL network side, and was like, hey, you know, we remember in your interview process that you had done some hockey play-by-play when you were in Rockford. And I was like, yeah, so here's the thing. That's what we call a half truth. Like I did it, but it was trash. (laughs) I did the play by play. Now, was it good? That's a different question. That's not a question that was asked to me during the interview process. So he's like, okay, well, we still want you to have, want you to do the world junior championship, which for those not familiar, it's a, uh, the collection of uh, 20 and under or U20 hockey players from around the country from around the world, I should say, you know, basically the next generation of NHL stars. 
And I would say after the Stanley Cup playoffs, within the game of hockey, the World Junior Championship is, you know, one of the most prestigious things out there. So my response to him was, okay, are you sure? Right. <laughs> because that's a big responsibility. And again, if you were to dig up that recording from my time with the Ice Hogs, you're not going to like what you hear. And that was a decade ago. And he's like, no, we think you could do it. And so that's where it started. And then this, you know, this season, we added the NHL Network Showcase package. So I've been able to do some, some NHL games, which have been uh, a blast. I mean, we're calling them all from New Jersey off a monitor. And calling hockey off a monitor isn't the easiast thing in the world. But no, it's, it's still calling, calling an NHL game. And that's, it's been, like I said, dream come true. Do you still play golf? I do. I do. Um, I, I would actually say that I'm better now than I was in high school because I was so hyper competitive and just lost in that as a kid. Cause you wanted something so bad. You're trying so hard and figuring out the mental side of the game just was so beyond my capacity at that point. But now it's like when I go out there, even if I don't play for months, which is the case living in the East Coast because the weather is garbage. Um, when I go back out there, you know, it takes a couple to shake off the rust, but just mentally I'm so much more clear that it's a more enjoyable experience and I find that I'm better now than I used to be. It's weird because you're probably now at a place in, in your life and in your golf career that you can have fun where there seemed, like, from the way you're describing it, there was no fun for you when you were doing this in high school. It, it, there, it was. It started out as that, and I think it's, this is the case for a lot of kids around the country now, especially now as youth sports has been monetized the way it has. And then at a certain point, you, it takes that turn where, okay, is this a vehicle for me to get to the next step in life, whether that's professionally, you know, at the collegiate level, uh, the the travel circuit, high school, whatever, and then it the it, it morphs a little bit, and that's what happened to me. Like I, I was good naturally as I got into the game, and then as I went through high school, and especially in Southern California, where it was so you know uber competitive, um, it yeah, I lost I lost that that joy, that passion somewhere along the way. Um, got a girlfriend in high school, got sidetracked by that, less time practicing, you know, like all those things that as a teenager, you just, you just you have tunnel vision and uh, you're nearsighted. And I, I now see all that looking back, but for, for kids, I, I, I get that struggle. What's the best golf shot you ever hit? Actually it happened last summer. I went out and played with, Dan Plesak, one of our great analysts at the network, and everybody in Chicago knows knows DJ Dan. And it was at his his club in, in New Jersey. And I snap hooked uh, a tee shot. It was like a, I don't know, 390-yard par four. Snap hooked it into the next fair. We hit a tree. So now I'm probably behind a tree, let's say, I don't know, 30 yards Okay, and the tree is dead in front of me in the green. And it's a big tree, it's full because it's, you know, it's summertime. So to get to the green, I have to hit like a 40 yard snap hook. To even just get it back in play really. 
but I'm like, I, again, I love Phil Mickelson. So I'm going for it. I'm not punching out. I'm not laying up I, again, not competitive. Let's have some fun. So I take a three wood. I like choke down. I turn the head <laughs> and I hit the perfect shot. Snap hook 35 yards, ran up the hill onto the green 10 feet. And then I made the putt for birdie. Like the, just the degree of difficulty shot uh, on that shot was so high. And I mean, Dan was just MFing me up and down the fairway because he couldn't <laughs> believe that I pulled because I couldn't, couldn't believe I pulled it off. So that is honestly, that's it. After that shot, I was like, this is, that's the best shot I've ever hit. I've had better rounds. I've had better individual shots, but in terms of pulling something off, that was it. And then to make the birdie, I think that's what brought it home. When you're doing minor league hockey, what's, yeah. what's something that no one would even think about when it comes to minor league hockey that you enjoy? Oh, gosh. I think it's something that I also felt when I got to my first local television station. And that is that you look around the room and you have teammates, but at the same time, they're competitors because there's so many big league roster spots, right? Or so many NHL roster spots. All the ice hogs are trying to make the Blackhawks. Everybody in Eugene, Oregon was trying to graduate to that next market. So despite that, competitive camaraderie there was this like sense of community and and brotherhood um and family that was just so again and you're you're not making you're not making a ton of money at all you're not making good money um you know you're living with roommates um the the resources aren't you know what everybody dreams of when they start out in this particular field whether it's broadcasting or professional sports and you're just making it work together and you're building those bonds with the people next to you. And then you look back 10 years and you see all those people that you used to play with and how they have found success in their own lanes with their, in, in different places outside of, you know, particular organizations, you know, uh, the people that I work with in Eugene, Oregon, you know, Jake Zivens now the voice of the Portland Timbers in MLS, you know, Eric Elkin, he's the face of, a TV station down in Texas and he's got, you know, two beautiful baby boys. Like he was the first one to start a family, you know, just like those little things. Um, yeah. So it all comes back to me. It's, it's just that uh, you're all in the same boat, even though you're in your own. That makes sense. No, it, it absolutely makes sense. How the white Sox thing happened with you. How did I become a white Sox fan? Yeah. So my dad, my dad's from Chicago and he grew up in Mount Prospect. Um, so I know that's not Chicago, that, but it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So his whole, and his whole family's out there. He's one of five kids. Uh, he's the only one who left. So everybody's, they're all Cub fans though. Everybody else bleeds Cubby blue. And my dad simply said when I was a kid, he's like, I didn't want to root for the teddy bear. Um, and then eventually he like start, he got old enough to start going to games at Comiskey. And he, I mean, he loved Dick Allen, the late, great Dick Allen. Um, and, you know, that era of stocks baseball. And that's where you really fell in love with the game was going to Comiskey. And I just followed pops for everything. So, you know, whether it was the Sox, 
the Blackhawks. He was he was a goalie growing up uh, playing hockey. Um, he's not as weird as the goalie stereotype. I'll say that because <laughs> I've met I've met a lot of goalies since my dad, and they're all they all they all got a, a, at least one screw loose. Um, but you know what? I guess dad does too. Anyway, uh, the Bears, but he did not like the Bulls. He hated the Bulls uh, because he had a bad experience as a kid. He went to a game at Old Chicago Stadium. I won't name the players uh, out of respect for them and their families, uh, but he asked for an autograph. Uh, one of them, according to my father, uh, told him to F off. And uh, so he decided to, that he wasn't going to like the Bulls. And um, he did eventually get an autograph from a Los Angeles Laker. And so that became his team. And when he moved out to L.A. in the early 80s, obviously that was a great decade to be a Laker fan. Um, we grew up going to the forums. So that's the brief synopsis of my sports fandom. Do you remember any of that time at the forum? Yeah, yeah. One of my worst game experiences ever. I, I popped a peanut shell into my eye. No! To my eyeball. I got rushed to like that, <laughs> that like a first aid room inside the Great Western Forum. And uh, I just remember them having to like hold me down and like, you know, it, this was well before days I was putting makeup on my face, right? So I have no concept of putting fingers near my eyeballs and they're trying to pry this peanut shell that's got salt on it and it's killing me out of my eyeballs. So yeah, I remember going to the forum vividly. I remember uh, meeting Vlade Divac. Uh, I still can smell the cigarettes <laughs> from, that, <laughs> from that meeting. Uh, I have a picture that I've shared on social media. It's me and Vlade. I'm like a tiny tot and I have this look on my face like, what is this smell? <laughs> it was cigarettes. Um, you know, I, my, I was, cause I was, by the time I was a cognitive human, it was post showtime and pre Jack and Kobe. Mm -hmm. So like, those were some, they weren't the best years in Lakerland. So it was like Sedale three, Anthony Peeler, um, Eldon Campbell, uh, said Sabalos, Nick Van Exel, and Eddie Jones were, were obviously the favorites for, for everybody. Um, but yeah, I, those those were my early Laker years. But when I think of the form, I think of peanuts. <laughs> so what? Why. So what did they end up doing? Like flushing your eye? Like how did they? Yeah. They just held me down and like put like I just remember somebody holding my eye. It was probably my dad. Uh, there was it, it was like a, one of those movie scenes where you get thrown or, or a TV scene where you get thrown on the hospital bed and they shine the light right in your face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're disoriented. You know what's going on. You're just trying to blink something out of your your eyeball. And yeah, so somebody just held this open and then they just kind of pulled it out and gave me some, some eye, eye wash or Vaseline or uh, Visine or whatever. Vaseline, that would have been a bad move. Uh, Visine. And, uh, and that was it. To hear the cheers. <laughs> there was something happened during that game that, that, we, that we missed. Well, at least you were okay and your vision was all right. Yeah. And at least you didn't have a peanut allergy because that could have been super bad if yeah, that were the you, case. I have never thought about that. And you're hundred percent right. That would have been that would have been brutal. Yeah, it would have been the worst. How how did you end up at, at MLB? Like what was it that like what was the job posting? And what were you, were you like, oh yeah, that's me. I can do all of that stuff. Yeah. So my all right. Uh, another cliff notes. I'll try and uh, speed it up so as to not uh, ruin your podcast ratings. Uh, by the way, subscribe, rate five stars, leave a review, 
It's very important to do wherever you may subs- uh, get your podcast. Thank you for that. Uh, you got it, Loho. I ain't new to this. Um, so I go to Rockford first year out of college because uh, I couldn't find a job in local TV to save my life. I, I applied everywhere. And I remember all of the places that I got turned down. Go to Rockford for an internship that was one season long. Uh, and long story short, go to Eugene, Oregon, a uh, local TV job. Um, that I, again, did what I did with the other stations, applied, sent an email, sent my stuff, thinking I wasn't going to hear anything. And then uh, three days after that email, I had a phone call. Two weeks later, I was driving up from my home in, in Orange County, California, up the coast to, to go to Eugene. Uh, worked there for two and a half years, um, covering you know the, the, the Beavers and the Ducks and the Blazers, uh, which was a really fun time, actually, with OSU and Oregon Athletics, all the, the pros now that came through there including Marcus Marta, who I wish more than anything would, would be the Bears quarterback. Um, and yeah, six months into my third year there, I uh, had signed on with an agency, which is something you kind of talked about in your last, in a recent pod, Loho, and I hope you'll do more again, because I think it'd be very helpful for young broadcasters to hear. And with that agency, I, I lined up an audition at Bleacher Report. Um, audition at Bleacher Report, audition at a station in Houston the next week, thinking like, okay, I'm going to Houston, Bleacher Report, it's New York, I'm this slap from <laughs> Eugene, Oregon, they're not calling me. And also Bleacher Report was still like, looked at as the slideshow mm-hmm. place, you know? Uh, I was like, I wrote for Bleacher Report for free in college, why would I work there? Anyway, uh, they did. I was in the Houston airport, got the call that Bleach Report was going to offer. Go up to BR, you know, move across the country to New York City from Eugene, Oregon, which was a wake up call. Uh, just a little bit of a culture shock going from the Pacific Northwest to, to NYC. Um, spent three and a half years there. Okay, now to MLB Network, which was your original question, which you asked about 25 minutes ago. Again, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> At, at, it, it got to a point at Bleacher Report where honestly, like it was just not healthy for me personally. Mm. Um, I, you know, you just you it, like things run their course, and it was really toxic to me, um, just for reasons that we, we can get into if you wanted to. But um, I, one of the producers at Bleacher Report was a good friend. Her husband was a producer at MLB Network and she had hurt like she you know I had confided in her about all my you know professional frustrations and stuff and she said you know why don't you send your stuff to to Chris and Chris Collins who is a star producer at MLB Network um and I was a little too late uh, in getting my reel in for their hiring process but um it revisited a few months later and uh, I went in for an audition, and um, this was right before the 2018 season. And you know they they were trying to um, fill the spot that was left by Paul Severino, who took the Marlins play-by-play job. And it happened really quick. And it was just I knew it was you know a fresh start for me, an opportunity to work in two sports that Bleacher Report really didn't dedicate a lot of time or resources to, in baseball and hockey sports that I love. And, you know, play-by-play was a possibility. At the time, I didn't know how much, but it was at least a possibility. So 
that's how I ended up there. Um, and yeah, and cut to now it's the fourth season. Wow. It's, it's really weird how I've, I've run across this now in a couple different national spaces I get the idea. Like, I understand what programming is, and I get that you're supposed to try to get the most eyes or the most ears onto the content. But it does amaze me how disrespected baseball is in specifically, and baseball and hockey is, like, as a tandem. It seems yeah. like, I mean, I've been told, like, I've been told by producers, like, uh, you maybe don't do so much baseball. And I'm like, what? Like, like, and and I get the, the the idea, the concept that maybe baseball in the last twenty years has become regional, and maybe mm-hmm. not national. But it's so strange when you hear that because of how passionate both of those fan bases are. Yeah, so I see both sides of the coin. I think I try to because I mean, the, the, there, there's a lot there's a lot to that discussion. I do think that the fan bases bear some responsibility. Um, I will say, I'll speak from the hockey perspective specifically. Um, My mentions are never more negative than during the World Junior Championship. Um, Because I don't, oh, this is, is, (laughs) sorry, Loho. Okay. An entire generation of hockey fans, they grew up listening to Doc. So when they watch a hockey game, they are expecting Doc. There's only one Doc Emmerich. He's a Hall of Famer, right? So anything that is different from not only that aura, that style, is off-putting to them. The, what I'm trying to say is that when there's something new or something different, those are the two sports that tend to lash out the most violently. Mm. They have the most averse reaction to change something I've experienced recently here on the baseball side with with my new position. And I don't know why that is. I do think that there's a complex, there's an insecurity because on the baseball side, it's uh, America's pastime, right? And it's there's so much history and tradition and fans hold on to that. And for hockey, it's the same way. It's long been the most uh, disrespected, you know, uh, stepchild sport but it's the greatest postseason in all professional sports. It's the toughest to win the Stanley Cup. You know, look at these guys playing through injuries. Look at the other sports. They're getting wheelchaired off after, you know, being sneezed on. Yada, yada. I, there's that, there, there are complexes to that. And then when something new, whether it's a new broadcaster or a new fan, they're told how much, uh, well, you don't know. Right. You don't know. You don't know. So then as if, if I'm that new fan who wants to get into your sport, why, why would I, I don't want to. Okay. If you guys don't want me, then I'll just go back to what I was doing. I'm sorry to like interrupt your, you know, you know, break up the party here. We joke about Um, this on the score all the time. It's the, it's the, you you don't talk enough hockey and then it's stop talking hockey. Yeah. Cause you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Like the Nashville predators, when they went on that run a few years ago, it really you know, galvanize a city that, you know, you didn't think about in terms of hockey fans and everybody um, around Nashville and surrounding communities that were looking for a team, they flocked to the Preds, but then every new fan, I, I knew one. He's like, yeah, I tried to hop on the Preds bandwagon and, and I basically got kicked off because I was told they didn't, I didn't know what I was talking about. That's so unbelievable. 
it's unbelievable to me. And it really, it really makes me sad because for, I, I, we both love those sports and we know how great they are and how phenomenal these athletes are. Um, and we want the game to grow and be healthy in all facets. And it's fans like that. It's a, it's that mindset. Again, those, those insecurities or complexes that are, you know, they're, they're, that are hurting it. Um, so that's, that's the one side. And on the other side, I think, you know, you get into the business side. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's more uh, buying power and attention in those other sports right now. I think football really, you know, took fantasy sports and capitalized on that. And the NBA has, has marketed its product better than, better than anybody. I think that's the consensus across the board. So there's a, there's just so many entryways into that conversation. Well, let's, let's talk about baseball a little bit to, to be someone who's doing what you're doing at MLB network and taking over the show that you're taking over. There has to be a deep love and connection with the sport. You talked Mm -hmm. about your fandom with being a white Sox fan, uh, which I do want to ask you about in the hallways of, of MLB Network, but what's the what is it about the game that you love? It's so funny how the simplest questions are the hardest ones. Um, I think. Wow. Like everything is such a cop out answer. I'm trying to give you such a no, a, man. A tell me the truth. You don't have to search for it. Well, whatever no, pops into your head. Yeah. Okay. So it's funny because what what's looking thinking about it now, baseball was one of the first sports that I stopped playing as a kid. I just I stopped before junior high. Um, I just stopped playing. And despite that, I still loved watching and following it. And I I'm maybe it was maybe hawk had something to do with that and just the just the the calls and my dad would um this was in the early days of the internet you know he'd go to flying sock you know and the white Sox message boards and or or, (laughs) yeah print out articles from you know all the local papers and like that was just a part of my life and i loved that because i connected with baseball through my father and that really you know that's a special thing you know that father-son bond and um loving the same things and i think that's probably probably the most um that's probably the biggest thing is that it was just that sports was me and my dad um and baseball was one of those sports but yeah it's all those little things man it's it was it was you know uh, turning on WGN and watching the good guys, you know, like it, it, it was, um, you know, getting these clippings from dad and, you know, reading about the trade deadline and um, going on MLB trade rumors and uh, going to, going to the games. Like it was the, the times that I got to go to um, Comiskey or the cell um, growing up. Like I just, those are, they're just fond memories. So like, I just, I have that love for the game through those memories that I cherish. So it's, it's not so much like anything mechanical or technical or X's and O's about the game. Like I'm not going to just 
the tradition or the history. It's just, I, I, I just think of, think of me and pops, you know, um, that's, that's it. That's a good thing to think of, man. That's a great yeah. thing to think of. Mm-hmm. So I have you on a list of like the most famous White Sox fans. It, like, <laughs> no, but think about it. Think about it. You're, <laughs> you're a host on MLB network and you're yeah. a White Sox fan. There are not a lot of us in those no. positions nationally. Like, you see a lot of people. There are tons of national media members who are Cub fans. Tons of them. You can point them yep. out. You can name them. They rep it hard. With the White Sox, there's a very small number of people that would right. that would claim to be a White Sox fan. So, when you're there. Wait, who's with, on your list? Of, of, your of famous White Sox fans? Yeah, like celebrities, like rattle off the like the first few that come come to the top of your head. You, Richard Roper, <laughs> like like you know what I'm saying? Like it's and and like everyone everyone else is like they'll wear the gear, but they're yeah, not you, necessarily White Sox fans, right? And Cusack's a fake ass White Sox fan, right? Right. So. There and 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 it's 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 like, well, should we claim them? We kind of need some fame. I. I <laughs> I believe that Joan is like legit White Sox fan, though. Yes, I think so too. I think so too. So we'll, Joan, yes, she and yeah, and even even like Eddie Vedder, like Eddie Vedder is known for being with the Cubs, but the whole reason that he he's into baseball is because like Jack McDowell, and it's like, man, can't we just have and, and even even the late great Bernie Mac? Yeah, Bernie Mac was straight up and down a White Sox fan, but. The show that he had was on Fox. Fox was carrying the the NLCS, and there he is in a, in a Cubs uniform. And there were a lot of Chicagoans who were like, "It was his fault because he's a White Sox fan. <laughs> he's out here wearing Damn Cubs gear." <laughs> See, so so yeah. there there's not a lot of us, you know. That there, and so I wonder what is it like for you being there? Do people go, "Wait, you're a White Sox fan?" Around yeah. they do. That's been that's been my entire life growing up in Southern California. Whenever anybody asks, like, who do you root for, whatever sport, if you say the Yankees, the Lakers, the Patriots now, people are like, ah, oh, you know, they got something to say. When I say White Sox, they go, oh, huh, really? Oh, cool. All right. Whatever. It's just so it doesn't register to them at all. So the fact that they meet someone they're actually interested like well how did that happen aren't you from california and i give them the same you know the same uh cliff notes that, that i gave you so i do feel kind of like i kind of special uh in a way because we because we are such rare birds yes uh, flying, flying around here so and especially now you know as the as the team is you know on the up i'm knocking on all the wood because we've already had to say goodbye to Eloy for six months but um you know, now it's people are like, "Hey, uh, how about those White Sox, Nelly? What do you think about them?" So- I, I'm a, I love, I love the Southsiders. You know, I'm picking them this this year to. to, to it's like, so yeah, you you become like somebody's uh, go to to talk White Sox baseball. And for me, like having the opportunity to, you know, shine the light on, you know, insert player here, uh, th- that the person I'm talking to might not know or pay much pay enough attention to like yeah that's i love doing that because 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Then I want more people watching Sox baseball. That's right. It's like you and Mr. Yeah, T. Like, that. that's it. That's, that's <laughs> the fact that you went, the first two were, were me and Roper. I hope that lands to everybody who listened to the podcast that, yeah, you, wow, we really we really are underrepresented on the I, national scale. I hey, think. Don't just, you're national now, too, Loho. I don't know, but, I mean, come on. <laughs> I, as I like to tell Russ Dorsey, I'm a local MC, and I'm good with being a local MC. I, I still, I still rep being a local. But it is weird that I, I, I am someone that in at least in Chicago. I, I am when I go to the ballpark, I am treated like I'm a bigger celebrity than I am. And I, I a friend of mine said, yeah. she's like, geez, like people won't leave you alone. I was like. It's it's a bad representation because these these are my people like out here at a Sox game. These are these are my yeah. folks. So the, it it is over amplified when I am at a White Sox game. The idea of me being famous. So yes, you are you have to hold it down for all of the Sox yeah. fans that that are out there. Like I think like I think maybe. Um, I gotta, I gotta check on this, but I think Jenny McCarthy, cause she's South Sider, like she might be a White Sox fan. Her cousin, Melissa might be a White Sox fan, I, but you know, the, the, the pickings is slim. It is. And I do think that everybody, like it happened with Bernie. Once you get to a certain point, somebody or something is telling them you need to put the blue on now. You need to put the blue on. Like, I don't, I, honestly, I don't know what it is. Like, I, I, I can't figure it out because then you see all these quote unquote Sox fans. And I'm like, wait a second. They're wearing the Cub C. Like what the, oh, it's for the city of Chicago. Like, nah, stop that. That's why I, I, when I saw that picture of Leonardo DiCaprio wearing a Sox hat, it was last summer or something. I was like, yeah, we got one. Even though he probably has no idea. Uh, but I mean, you know, the NWA made White Sox caps pop, you know, and and yeah. and what the White Sox did with their color scheme, like people want, like some of the, the caps that are out this year just fly, like just like man, that is some really good design. So what can we what can we expect from this new show, man? This is a new gig for you. What what are yeah. you looking forward to? Oh man, I, so Loho, I'm a huge fan of just throwing stuff at the wall you know i just like creating and i like finding new ways to do the same things that we've been doing forever in this business like let's switch it up you know let's let's not just try to reach through the fourth wall let's just get rid of that thing let's let's just blow it blow it over um and for those listening who don't know what the fourth wall is, basically the, the, the camera or the, the thing that separates the person, the broadcasters from the listeners or viewers or whatever. Because I, I, I do want the people and the fans to have an active role in this show. 
Um, Cause my whole focus, it, I, I found out early on, I, it hit me early on that it was, we're dehumanizing athletes the way the industry talks about them uh, every day. And that's through, and, and it's not intentional in most cases, it's uh, not malicious in, I would say, the majority of cases. But when we refer to athletes as uh, a top 10 prospect, then number 13 is, becomes trash. Mm. And it's not that big a deal when he's acquired in the trade. When we talk about players as expiring contracts, they are simply expiring contracts. They are disposable assets. When we talk about players as a 97 OPS plus, okay, 100s league average, he's 97. I don't want him on my team anymore. We are missing and disregarding totally everything else that goes into that person's being and existence. And um, that's something that means a lot to me in making sure that uh, we provide a place where these players feel like they are seen despite their their balloon dra i don't care if they got a 574 they still got a journey and a story and they still got a personality uh and they still have humanity and i think that it's our job on that show specifically on intentional talk specifically and i think really any show that i work on on either network to showcase those things so um, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm really jacked up, man. I got, you know, a ton of ideas to try and, um, you know, get Malar going, uh, in a different way too. And because look, I, and I've said this, you know, in whenever I've talked about, uh, this new role, like there is no quote unquote replacing somebody like Rosie, like Chris Rose. Right. I grew up watching him on Best Damn and loving him on Intentional Talk too. And then he and Kevin, they have this just unique standalone bond. So I'd be an idiot to try and come in here and do the same things and be the same guy. Like it's just not it's just not what I'm going to do or what something I want to do. So I'm just gonna try and find new ways to um facilitate conversation with these with these athletes and uh, give the fans a, a lane to run in with us I'm, I'm really happy for you man I, I it's you're gonna do a great job because of the way that you approach it and it's it's gonna be phenomenal I, I, I I'm so excited because it just it makes sense like it makes sense for this to be the next thing that you do you get to kind of tailor all of take all of that stuff that you've been working on this whole time and throw yeah. it into a space where you're going to be able to flourish. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. Like it just everywhere that I've been, whether it was Rockford, Eugene, uh, Bleacher Report, like I picked up just real foundational things uh, for me that I still use to this day. And um, look, we're going to try some stuff and not all of it's going to work. And actually that might be part of the charm of intentional talk. Like I, you know, I've been, I pitched this IT on IG where we go live on Instagram together, Kevin and I, while we're live on the air. So there are fans who maybe don't have MLB Network who aren't able to watch it, but they get the notification that, you know, Malar and I go live, they're going to hop on. And then they're, they're a part of the show or the people watching at home, like, oh, shoot, I want to get my question in here. And when we did it the first time, Kevin like accidentally muted himself and couldn't figure out how to turn, <laughs> off, turn his audio back on. 
And so it was just me talking for the last five minutes of that segment, but that's what made it, that's what made it good and perfect. It's like, okay, that was endearing and we'll try and figure it out for, for next time. But you know, just little things like that. Um, and again, like to, to the earlier discussion we were talking about, um, you know, not everybody's going to like something different, um, especially from what they got used to for a decade. Oh. Is that me or you? No, that's me. Sorry about that. Aloha. No problem. Um, it's a great um, thing about podcasting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we're going to give it a whirl. Hey, can I ask you a question? I know this is your pod. Sure. But can I ask something? Absolutely. So, a discussion that I've been having recently, both with myself and, and other people in the industry, is the, the concept of platform. Mm-hmm. And I would say um, you're someone who works to, do, to use that, right? Is that fair? Yes. Okay. So I do think there's a difference, though, in using a platform and maximizing it when it comes to things that are transcendent of sport or beyond sport and um i struggle with am i just existing on a platform and or am i maximizing it and i'm wondering how you have gotten to your current state i mean and that might evolve might change you know six months from now it might be different from where it was a year and a half ago but i'm genuinely curious about that because it's something that i'm hyper conscious of not wanting to waste um, this opportunity. This is a fascinating question, and it's weird because no one's ever asked me about it, but it is something that I think about. So the cool thing about like doing the shows at night when I had you know Tony Gill and Melissa Rakitis as my producers, they're significantly younger than I am. They're not quite young enough to be my kids, but they're right there on the border of it. And they were instrumental in trying to push me towards other platforms. And, and I found that I don't, I don't, I don't want to be on a platform where my activity on that platform is inauthentic. So Snapchat and TikTok don't appeal to me because the things that I see on Snapchat and TikTok, for the most part, there are exceptions, but it's over my head. Yeah. And I'm not that great a dancer. So, <laughs> so, so working on them, I've, what I've tried to do is I've tried to focus. I kind of have this, this hate-love relationship with Facebook where I know that Facebook drives traffic. And it would, it drive, it would drive traffic to my podcast, for example, or to the radio show. But there's so much else that goes into Facebook that I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. And, and now I found that on Instagram, it's rare that I post something. Instagram stories, I'm here for it. I throw stuff on there all the time, but it's rare that I actually put an actual post on Instagram. Twitter seems to be where I live, and, and it's kind of the, the best and worst of, of all worlds where you're getting information I'm following the reporters that I like, the ones that are out here in the trenches getting the information and bringing it to the people. And I I struggle with tweeting too much. Like, I always go, am I doing too much? And then you go, well, if you look at it like the way you would look at television or radio, 
where the audience is turning over at a specific time. Like I know in radio and the number is decreased, it's probably somewhere still between 12 and 15 minutes, your audience is turning over. Well, imagine if you're picking up your phone and you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, that that turnover on Twitter is amazing. So if I do tweet out a link to this episode of the podcast three times, I feel like I'm invading my followers' privacy and they might think that I'm not doing it enough. And mm-hmm. I and I think that all of this stuff, like it's it's hard to navigate. I had a, a a former intern that worked for NFL Network. Actually, it'd be a really good idea to have her on the pod. And I was on her pod and we were talking about this is what she does. Like she is a social media like manager. And and she says the most important thing for people is for them to be themselves on whatever platform that they're on. Because if you end up not doing that, then it's just, it's performative and you're just kind of like, it's, it, is it going to really be good for you? So my, my goal is not to overshare because I'm fairly private anyway. And try to give people stuff that they actually want when I do tweet. And 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 I do like to goof around. Like I'm big into into using I say GIF. Most people say GIF. I'm GIF. I'm GIF. God bless you for being team GIF. Yeah, man. It's like the, the guy who created it said GIF. That's what I keep telling people and they keep telling me I'm wrong. I'm like, no, I'm not. He said GIF. Do you go to the gym? No. <laughs> exactly. No. Exactly. Go you do gym. not. You do not go to the gym and and you don't um you don't shoot off lasers. You shoot lasers. <laughs> yes. So so anyway, um so she I, I try to have a little bit of fun with that and I'm trying not to let too many people get to me when it comes to Twitter. My filters are my like filters on Twitter are pretty good, so I don't get a lot of the crazy stuff that a lot of people get and I I use them. Like I am big into like I'm using these filters and everyone's guilty until proven innocent. Uh when it when it comes to Twitter, but that's the goal. The the goal is to try to be as authentic as possible. And with yeah. this like it's not a social media platform, but the idea of doing a podcast and it being a platform, I really just want to talk to people. And mm-hmm. I want to find out it, I want to be able to do the stuff that I love about radio without interruption like that's a goal for me it's it's and so far it's worked out i hope that that answered the question yeah it did it it did and it didn't if i'm being honest in the same way because like there are tough discussions that i think we are as as minority broadcasters in prominent positions are um i would say being forced to have um at times feel obligated to have in, you know, in this, this day and age uh, in society. And I, that's something that I, I, I really, I really grapple with because it's like, how many, how many, how much impact is a Twitter thread is uh, a post actually having when, you know what I mean? Like that's see. Okay. So, all right. I, I could maybe answer this better. I have shied away from doing stuff on Twitter or Instagram when it comes to issues of import. And the reason why is I have a radio show and a podcast, 
where if I want to talk about context or nuance, you have the place. I have the place to do it. And and I think that there are really good people on Twitter that are great on creating threads that you can work through and find that context and nuance. I don't know if it's the best form of communication for some of the issues that we're dealing with. And usually what ends up happening is there are fights inside of it that I don't think are productive. There, there are conversations inside of these, these threads that I don't think lead to anything, but everyone kind of claiming their tribe and then just that's that bias. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that's what you're you're into. So I figured out that I have a radio show and I have enough freedom on the radio show that if there is something that I want to get into, I can get into it. And and I can say what I need to say in the way that I want to say it and use as much time as I need to help make the point. It it's a struggle though, because sometimes you want to react. You wanna you wanna just throw something out there, and and I'm not sure that that's the best way to make your voice heard. But I also want to give room to people who are like, I'm fucking angry, yeah. and I want to let people know yeah. that I'm angry about all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. it What's it been like? Like I I, I mean, I'm I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position, and I don't want to I don't want to um, traffic in your pain, but. What what have the last few weeks like been like for you? Um. Well, well, you. I I also don't want to turn this into a four hour podcast uh, for for you to go through. But no, it's um. It's been challenging, I would say, um. Simply, because um. You know, one, I haven't been um, directly impacted, right? It hasn't happened to me personally. You know, I've, you get you get looks, but like, I haven't gone through what you know my mom has, or my sister has, or my aunts have, or, or, or my best friends have. You know, um, because I have the, the 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 privilege of being mixed, right? I'm, I'm half Japanese half white. And if you just, my first name, my last name, Steven Nelson, no one's thinking twice about that. If they heard my middle name, which, mm-hmm. is, which is Etsuo, then they, they might raise an eyebrow, but then they see my face and they don't know what I am. I am ethnically ambiguous, I would say to, to many. Um, so therefore I'm not a threat. There are tons of Minorities, I won't even limit it to Asians, even though that is the current scope of, of conversation in, in media. Um, they don't have that luxury, right? Um, so one, there's, there's a, a sense of, uh, of guilt in, in, in one sense, and then it's this, um, this feeling or this desire to want to then, okay, because I have the, the this privilege, uh, this platform, um, and this luxury, I need to maximize that to help those who don't. And 
with that tongue comes a, a lot of a, a lot of internal pressure sure um and just trying because i don't want to like you're saying like you um you mentioned earlier uh, doing it on twitter like i don't want to uh waste my shots so to speak because if i take one and it misses that hurts the community and the cause i think so i'm scared of making that misstep um but i do have shit to say things that are have been burning on my my heart and soul for a long time forget this the last 12 months where the country and the world really has gone through this reckoning when it comes to race in america and society this is this is our existence that people seem to have seem to struggle with and uh, so it's uh, like I said, it's just been, it's been challenging and trying to find the, the best um, spots to pick to further the conversation and, and really make an impact because it's something that's, it's really the only focus that I have now in my professional life because I've checked boxes, all the boxes that I had when I was starting out in mm-hmm. college in this thing. I've done everything that I could possibly want to do. So now it's about the the generations behind me and making sure that this place is, is, is better than how I found it. Like that's my sole focus. So, um, yeah, but you know, it's, it's hard, man. It's hard. And like, look, you're, I don't need to tell you, you're a black man in America, you know? So, um, and I, and, that gets into another kind. I do think that our communities have been turned against each other throughout history. Very, um, it, it's 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 almost insidious the way that the Asian community and the Black community have been pitted against each other. And I, from from what I've you know, I've talked to people about and read about the idea of the model minority for for Asian Americans. Like I also think that that's damaging and and hurtful. Because it puts Asian Americans in this spot of, wait, what? Like, you know, you still see me as other. Like, I'm still other to you. I I got a really good education from Michael Kim about this. Like, he very much changed my perspective on trying to think of things on the spectrum of black and white. Like, literally and figuratively. And how he always felt. Like in America, the conversations of whether it's South Asian people, you know, or or Pacific Islanders, that 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 part of the discussion never happens. Ever. And now Ever. we're we're seeing some of these these conversations that have needed to happen, and what happens when they don't. And mm-hmm. and I'm I'm always I'm a, you know I'm I'm very. Pollyanna when I come to the idea of the the idea of like the racial Voltron and like you know like <laughs> like like all minorities like clicking up together and speaking for each other but there's already so much distrust between minority groups and there are barriers between minority groups that I think it becomes difficult uh, to and even yeah. even inside our own communities, like we don't even have to go to inside of the colorism that exists 
in the black yeah. community, the colorism that exists inside the Asian community. Like, there's a lot of that shit, man. Oh, totally. Totally. Like, I think, um, I think uh, people who are not white people, people who are not of color, I think they feel some type of way because they feel like the target is solely on them um, in, in these discussions. Um, I understand why they feel that way, but like, you're right. It's the, the you, you go within your own neighborhood, uh, your own family, so to speak. Um, and everybody's got a household that's got that, that has some things to work through. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think about that too. And that's why, you know, as people hopefully have educated themselves more on what, what chairman Hampton was trying to do and why, like why that was so quote unquote mm-hmm. radical right back in the day, like, um, as powerful. Oh, but yeah, the, the model minority myth for sure has been weaponized uh, on both sides. You know, I think I think it's been held up in the face of the black community and say, this could be you. If you only were as docile as geisha as um, as as they are. Uh, and on the other side, it's held up in the face of the Asian community and be like, well, you're, you're doing great. But if you want progress, like they're the ones standing in your way of true progress of minorities. Mm. That's 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 been my perception of 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 history and again this is it's such a and i appreciate you kind of opening up this this space to have this conversation because there is a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of depth and and nuance and context to get to that we can't in 280 characters or on a 15 second instagram story um but i th- my my big takeaway of the this recent period in time is that I hope people are challenging themselves to live beyond their own existence. Like that ultimately I think is, is going to be the healthiest and we can, we can inspire that in, um, you know, hopefully an individual conversation when you, you talk to somebody who's, um, who's not of a like mind or like thinking and, and maybe inspire them to learn more. But just if people challenge themselves like that is doing a lot of heavy lifting you know, again, finding the, 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 the pages of history books that are left out of history books. Um, because the victors write the history. Correct. I mean, bro, uh, uh, I'll take FDR, for example. I think Franklin Delano Roosevelt is regarded as one of the uh, favorite greatest presidents in American history because he led the country through World War II. Um, that's what most people think about. You know what I think about? I think about what he wrote um, in the Macon Journal or the Macon Telegraph in the 1920s, talking about how um, mixing with the like, Japanese blood with white blood, how they were subhuman, how they were less than. That's what I think about. He genuinely hated me that's you know what i mean and that's we don't talk about that when when we discuss fdr in the history books i get why i i understand why they left that out but they didn't leave it out of my 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 mind and my heart and you know my kids are going to know about that so again i think it's just living beyond our own existence because that's when you learn the real stuff and that's not like I think people turn that against you like, oh, well, you, you just hate, you just hate our, our country. You hate everything. No, I, I, I loved it. And I want it to be better for 
for mine and ours. Because that's what, that's what everybody says it should be about. So let's make it about that. So anyway, man, I'm sorry for going on. No, nah, man. Hey, look, I know you got stuff to do, so I don't want to keep you for forever. I just – I will say that if, if I can – I think that, and you do this to a certain extent. Like it's right there in your bios, you know, on, on your social media platforms. But it, it's weird sometimes we share stuff, and I think that that all of us can be guilty of thinking that people knowingly do some of this stuff when that isn't always the case. And I, I'll give you an example of of what happened this past summer. This past summer. I pretty much, like, opened up a vein and bled on the radio talking about everything that happened this summer and especially what was happening in Chicago in the first couple of weeks of June where there were protests, and some of those protests got out of hand, and there were people who were co-opting the protests and looting and rioting, and that's not good. I was surprised, though, with people when I would tell them stories about black history because you know there were no real sports at the time so I could kind of do what I wanted and Juneteenth came up mm-hmm. and I, I said let me tell you about Juneteenth I said I'm sure there's some of you that got emails this week saying that you had the day off from work today and you have no idea why you have the day off from work so let me explain it to you and you would you would not believe the response I got. The response I got was, holy crap, I had no idea. Why isn't this a national holiday? This should be one of our most celebrated holidays in, in the history of the United States. Same thing happened with um, Watchmen. People yeah. didn't understand that there was a massacre in Tulsa. They thought it was part of the show. And then when I explained to them, oh, no, 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 this was a real thing. The reaction was people were like, oh, and they learned. And I had one of these moments this past winter where have you seen the show Warrior on HBO Max? I have not. It's great. It was Bruce Lee did a treatment back in the 70s. And his daughter put it together. And it tells the stories of Chinese immigrants in the 1870s in San Francisco. It's amazing. Like, you know, it's great fight scenes and stuff, too. And it talks about the Tongs, the, the Chinese gangs in San Francisco during that time. Really cool, like, depiction of it. And there's kind of this mix of current music with the past. It's dope. Like, it's one of my favorite shows. I learned something on it that I had no idea about. I did not know that there were Chinese slaves in the Caribbean. I had no idea that in Cuba, there, there were like 200 Chinese slaves that were brought over. And there, there are Chinese Cubans. And I was like, wait, what? And, and, I, and I literally sat there going, did they do this for the show? And then I was like, to the internet. You know, and then you then you find out that that there's all this stuff. So I think that there I do believe that there's a ton of willful willful ignorance. But I also yeah. think that there's just ignorance. Just like no, that couldn't have happened and then you find out and you're like, "Wow, that is really awful." But all of us are trying to work through it. 
the best that we can. And we want to bring we want to bring the people that can be changed. We want to bring them along. The hard part is the people who aren't aren't willing to be changed. And it used to be that you could just ignore them because that you could just move on. But you can't because now those people are super dangerous. That's the scary yeah. part. Totally. Totally, man. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's terrifying because in this, uh, in, in this um, age of media where people have access without accountability, mm. uh, that's, that scares, that scares the hell out of me. That's why it's, when I first started, I'm big, big family first guy. My, my family is, is everything to me. Right. But I, I try and uh, I, I limit the sharing of that as much as possible because you just don't know, um, you know. And I and I don't want, I don't, yeah, ex- for the reasons that we're talking about, I do less of that. I'm not, I'm not playing around anymore. I told um, I told my mother like she's like, oh, you know, I'm so proud, and I was like, not everybody likes me. Like you have to be very yeah. careful about that, and you want people to understand like it's. You know, it's scary. It's and that's why I reached out, man. I was I'm worried about all my my Asian American brothers and sisters. Like I'm worried. It scares yeah. me. Like I've seen this playbook before, and it's very scary. Yeah, and and, and you and I'm, I appreciate you bringing up, uh, you know, the 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 parts of communities that get left out in these discussions because East Asians. They they get all of the attention, but South Asians, especially in the uh, you know post nine eleven world that we live in, you know M- Middle Eastern quote unquote became a thing, and so people don't know and willful ignorance or just ignorance they don't understand South Asians being a part of this community and the discrimination that they have faced. They don't understand what um, you know. Uh, women non-binary persons they go through the hypersexualization and fetish fetishization uh that they have experienced right so like yeah i think um <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot it is a lot, a lot. daunting and that's why it's like it's just so much that 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 weighs on weighs on me at times so and i'm sure I'm, i mean i know i'm not alone in in that so yeah man um you have hope? Yes. You got a lot of hope? It doesn't it, – here's the thing about me. It doesn't take a lot to refill my hope bucket. Mm. And I don't know if that is a byproduct of the minority experience in America, but I know that I've, I'm, I'm – what, what gives me hope, like that sequence of events that happened in June and the feedback that I got from people – like that totally refilled my my hope bucket. And then there were a lot of people when I brought attention to you know CPS students not being allowed to have lunch because the mayor had raised the drawbridges and to keep everyone from getting downtown and like it was all sorts of mess the outpouring of money and people and and restaurant owners like opening up and saying we're going to feed this many cps students they just come in with their id blah 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 blah. that gave me hope that people do want to try and make a difference 
and there's the survival aspect of it. Like we, all of us, like every every minority group has some sort of tether to making it through whatever it is that we made it through to survive and that's in our dna it's also that trauma is in our dna which is problematic uh but so is that survival aspect of it and i i do feel like there are times when we get it like when all of us we kind of go this has gone too far or we understand that we're connected and I've had more moments of that recently than the other. I've had more moments of that, but it's scary. Like, I, Maddie Lee, who does a, a podcast for me on House of L, she's half Chinese. And she's, it's so weird because you guys are saying the exact same thing where she said she's racially ambiguous. No one would know what she is and if she wanted to pass for white she could and what becomes your responsibility inside of the community to to proudly proclaim who you are should you have to proclaim who you are um it's all of these questions are really difficult i mean there's all sorts of stuff that i want to do on this man like i want to really start delving into when when did white become a thing? Oh, okay. Because, I mean, we could have a discussion where we could talk about the way that Irish people were treated. Right, 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 right. Italian people. When did, when did you amalgamate <laughs> into, <Yeah. laughs> into white? Like, when did, when did, was there a meeting? Like, when did all that stuff happen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, invite sent out where everybody could have and it was just a missed opportunity <laughs> I mean I got I got issues with like the royal family stuff and I'm just sitting there going I'm like so y'all are surprised that a family of colonizers might have an issue <laughs> like the most famous colonizers in the world historically <laughs> Yeah, man. All right. Well, you know what? We've talked too much, man. We've talked too much. I I feel bad. I feel bad. I apologize for... No! uh, Dude, you kill... Come on, man. No, this is the way that it's supposed to be. The thing I love about House of Bell is that it's supposed to be a conversation with interesting people. We just happen to also talk about what it is that we do. But what it is we do isn't always who we are. And it's okay to to give some of those glimpses as much as you feel comfortable giving the glimpses of who we are to go along with what it is we do. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. Amen. Go 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 do your work. Cause I, I I feel so bad. I'm holding you up. I feel like I'm totally holding you up. This is my job today, hanging out with this guy. Hey. That's your boy. Hey. Hey, Oh, look at this. He's like, please, I'm trying to sleep. Oh, no. Yeah, so honestly, so I, got, I had nowhere to go and all day to get there, Loho. So I, I honestly, like, I, I'm glad that you and I, like, honestly, I have been hoping that you and I could have a conversation where we weren't limited by a, a segment 
mm. you know, uh, run, run time and, and, and out time we got to hit. So I, I appreciate you for thinking of me and giving me that chance to, to chat with you, man. Cause uh, I've been wanting to do it for a while and I'm, and I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did too, man. And, and you're going to kill it on intentional talk. I just, I just feel it. And you, you got a big fan base in Chicago, man, that's rooting for you. So with that, with the city behind you, you can't fail. I love that, man. I try, try not to trip and fall carrying the, carrying the flag. That's right. Run <laughs> it out there. This, you got to do, do the thing, man. All right, man. I'll be in touch. I appreciate you. Right, brother. Thank you, man. Peace. Be well. You too, man. So that was intense. It was very intense. It was a great conversation. I really respect that dude. I really like him, like genuinely like him. And I like that he felt comfortable enough talking about all of those subjects here on House of L. I really, really, I'm, I, he's right, man. I, you know, what's weird. A lot of these conversations, these are conversations that those of us who did go to college had in dorm rooms late night. Those of us who didn't go to college, maybe you're having them at work. You know, after a, a shift, you're talking with your guys about some of this stuff. I'm glad that I'm having them again like with people. And I'm, I'm getting a chance to hear their stories. I'm looking forward to having some of those conversations over a drink with people. Like, I'm so happy, man, I tell you, it has really been liberating to get the vaccine, man. It's been super liberating. I booked a trip. You know what's weird? I booked a trip. And I went on, on the airline's website and forgot I had like 100,000 points. So the trip has cost me like $11, but even the idea of travel clears up your mind, you know? But I'm looking forward to like sitting down with people and talking to them again. I'm even like creating a space in the new house for an actual teeny tiny studio to be able to invite people over again and what's cool about it is the space that I have is separated from the living area because I always felt weird like I remember when I had Jason over for episode two I mean Jason's one of my best friends so it's not that weird for him to come and sit in my living room but I could see how it would be uncomfortable for someone to come sit in the living room or hey why don't you come down and hang out in my basement for my podcast yeah, that's a little creepy. So now I have an actual space that doesn't look like it. I imagine it won't creep people out as much as what I had available before. But I'm looking forward to to having people back in a space where we can talk in person. And now that I'm almost three weeks out from the second shot, it really feels wonderful to know that 
for whatever protection it allows, and if that protection is a year, you know, we who who knows? But I am going to try and make up for some of that lost time. I really think that all of us deserve to have our birthdays go over again. Like, if your birthday was any time between March 2020 and August of 2021, you should get to do the number over again. So, like, I should get to do 45 over again instead of going to 46. Who's with me? Hooray! Hooray! By the way, if you want to email the podcast... House of L podcast at gmail.com is the way that you do it. Again, it's House of L podcast at gmail.com. And our title sponsor is Zenny, of course. Zenny.com, where you can get all the funky, fresh frames. If you wear glasses, I'm telling you, it's inexpensive. I really enjoy working with them because obviously I wear glasses, I've worn glasses since college. And these are perfectly inexpensive frames. They get to you pretty quick. I just got three pair for $50, fam. Three pair for $50, and they're fly. You'll see them. I'll have them. You can follow me on Twitter, at Lawrence W. Holmes. I'll have some stuff on there for sure for the visual medium of it. But thanks, uh, again, for listening to this stupid little podcast. Please subscribe. Tell a friend about it. Sports Adjacent, subscribe to that podcast too because they are doing some... (sighs) They are doing some stuff on the Sports Adjacent podcast. I love those guys. Go scroll back through here. You'll see the episodes because I post them on both this site and their site. But subscribe to their, their feed, Sports Adjacent. It's amazing, I'm telling you. Shout out to Maddie Lee as well. The whole House of L podcast family, which might be expanding. Ooh. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.